MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna Louise, Veronica Ciccone. Hey, everybody, it's Stefan. Hey, guys, it's Tony, and everybody wants to go to Hollywood. Indeed, they do. Indeed, they do. And today on the show, we've got a little bit of Hollywood glamour coming our way. <laughs> we are welcoming photographer Amy Arbus to the show. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you. Great to be here. I hope you're having an amazing afternoon. I hear New York is beautiful today. Where are you? I'm in Mazatlan, Mexico, representing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we're, nice. we're covering all the bases. Yeah. Wow. No, I'm a longtime New York resident, but I'm uh, taking a bit of a, a break from the city. And But I, I'm, I, I, I'm very homesick. I mean, I, I talk to people every day and love to know what's going on, you know? Yeah, how is how is New York today, Amy? It's gorgeous. It's it got a little windy in the last hour, but everybody's out. Good. It's, you know, it's spring for sure. It's Love one it. of those days I envision where all of the NYU students are just packing the park at uh, Washington Square Park, where you can instead of seeing grass, you just see nothing but students. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Tony, why don't you give Amy a proper introduction to all of our listeners, and then Abs- we'll kick off with some questions. Absolutely, it would be my pleasure. Amy Arbus is an American photographer who has published several books of photography, including On the Street and The Fourth Wall, which the New Yorker called her masterpiece. Her photographs have appeared in over 100 periodicals around the world. She has had 36 solo exhibitions worldwide, and her photographs are part of the collection at the National Theater in Norway, the New York Public Library, and the New Museum of Modern Art in New York. She teaches portraiture at Maine Media Workshops, the International Center of Photography, Nord Photography, Anderson Ranch Center, and the Fine Arts Work Center. I know her mostly from her on-the-street column in The Village Voice, which I would voraciously take in. I mean, I was a teenager living in Houston, Texas, and I would spend $3 on my copy of Village Voice and look at all these amazing photographs. So it's great to have you here. Welcome. Yes. Welcome to the show. Pleasure. Everyone's probably out there listening, wondering why on earth is Amy Arbus on the MLVC podcast? Well, (laughs) for all of you who don't know, listeners, Amy Arbus got to photograph Madonna before she technically became the Madonna that we know. So not to date ourselves, but uh, the story of how you came to photograph Madonna began back in the early 80s. I'm sure you've told this story hundreds of times, uh, but for some of our listeners, they might not have heard it. So let's take a trip back in time and (laughs) we'll we'll go back to the 80s, uh, the grimy New York City. Let's talk a little bit about how you came to photograph Madonna. So I was working on a a style page for the Village Voice at the time, and I was walking in my now neighborhood, but um, I lived on the Upper West Side at the time. Mm -hmm. I was on St. Mark's and 2nd, and it was uh, February of 1983. Mm -hmm. And I stopped this woman who I thought looked amazing, and... I thought I recognized her from 
the gym. The more I think about this, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because the gym was on 57th Street. I didn't live there. She didn't live there. And neither of us could afford a gym membership. So (laughs) right. But the woman I'm talking about who looked exactly like Madonna was naked in the locker room longer than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I thought if I had a body like that, I would, I would do that too. (laughs) I put on clothes. So I approached her and I said, I work for the village voice. And she said, that's funny. They're reviewing my first record this week. (laughs) That was pretty fortuitous. Um, And then In those days, I was calling people, once the photographs were actually chosen for the style page called On the Street, I would call them and say, say, where were you going? Why were you wearing what you were wearing? And when I called her, she said, I still had my pajamas on. When you photographed her. When I photographed her, yeah. So she was wearing this stained overcoat, oversized overcoat, which I happen to know now was gotten from a, um, you know, secondhand store. She had clogs. She had a bowling bag as her purse Uh and her kind of signature scarf and her two-tone hair uh, wearing it vertically, Mm -hmm. as it were. And I just thought she was cool, you know. And I actually thought, this woman is going to be somebody. Hmm. And the I mean, maybe that wasn't until I actually looked at the photograph, but mm-hmm. when I did, I was like, whoa, okay, that's significant. Well, right, because, you know, back in 1983, for those of us that were there and remember, you had to take photos on film and you weren't able to see what you were instantaneously getting at the time. So not until you would go back and either print uh, a sheet to look at all your negatives or you would print the, uh, an enlargement of the actual photograph, you wouldn't really be able to see what you were getting. How many mm-hmm. photographs would you take of the subjects for industry? Was it just one and done? Would you take a couple? I think I took six of her and that was roughly a good number, but I, you know, if I didn't feel like I'd gotten it, I would go on. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't, film was expensive and developing and contacting and printing was all expensive. But if I thought I had a great subject, I wouldn't be shy Mm -hmm. about continuing. Did you ask her to, do different poses or was it just with the project that you were doing, you would just sort of take them in the environment as they were? I would tell them where to stand. So I would pick the background and Mm -hmm. I just was trying to pick a background that wouldn't compete with the Mm -hmm. subject. Uh So I also was photographing the way that I see, which is sharp close up and blurry in the background. So Mm -hmm. Because I was, for those of you who know, F11, F8, I was photographing at F8 so that the background would go out of focus. Nice. Nice. Uh, So would you say that this was, this photo was shot in East Village, like Astor Place area, or maybe more East? 
It was St. Mark's in second. So oh, okay. Yeah. That is so great. So um, yeah, from having looked at the on the street column so many times, my friends and I would look at it and take fashion cues from it because, you know, we had to <laughs> try to figure out how to dress like street urchins in New York, even though we were in suburban Texas. But um, we're, you know, as looking through um, all this, you know, the proofs that you took of all the photos. I mean, obviously Madonna became famous. Were there any other people from the downtown scene that maybe you photographed before their ascent uh, into notoriety or popularity? Many, mm-hmm. many. Most notably The Clash. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 1981. And, oh, yeah, I Anna Sweet, Phoebe Legere. Um, oh, I loved her. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Lots of interior designers, fashion designers, uh, shop owners, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to rattle off their names. Right. Right. I mean, so I'm thinking shop owners, you know, someone like uh, Patricia Field and then uh, artists like, uh, like, is it fair to say that you would see people like Kenny Scharf or uh, Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat, like that whole intersection that was happening downtown in the 80s, correct? Well, I did photograph Kenny both Kenny Scharf and Keith Haring many times for mm-hmm. magazines. Yeah. And Kenny was actually in my first book, which was oh, wow. called No Place Like Home. Mm-hmm. So I definitely knew them. And I've been watching the uh, Warhol Diaries. Isn't it great? It's so informative. It's on my list. I know. I want to watch it. Yeah. It's so good. But yeah, I was really sorry that I hadn't gotten more involved with with the cool scene. Yeah. <laughs> I was still an outsider at right. that point. Yeah, I mean, even even so they were kind of, you know, out in the wild below 14th Street, but it was still kind of an impenetrable bubble if you weren't in the know, right? Well, people were very sweet to me. Mm-hmm. I, I remember one woman gave me, she made rubber dresses and she gave me her... <laughs> black rubber dress and I, mm-hmm. once I tried putting it on I was like no wonder people don't wear rubber <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so I'm curious when you were doing the project what was there a, a certain thing that you were looking for that did the village voice brief you and say okay we want x y and z out of the, the on the street fashion or was it left up to you to determine who was worthwhile you know and then following that up what was it about Madonna's outfit that struck you as, I need to photograph her? It was pajamas. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't notice that she was wearing pajamas, but I did notice that distressed coat. And I mm. thought, but it was also the bowling bag and the clogs. I thought, what an interesting choice, you know? So the Village Voice had said to me, Photograph anybody that makes you turn your head. So I worked on it for three months on spec, meaning that it, I wasn't being paid. Sure. Oh, wow. And yeah, I, w- I w- had the same reaction. I was like, no, I <laughs> Well, no, because Amy, back then, I mean, it, it was a bigger effort. I mean, you had to buy your own film. You had to make sure you had, you know, all, all those things happening. And yeah. How dare they? <laughs> well, it's actually, it was a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. I really didn't know what I was doing at first. And after three months of doing it, I got a real sense of mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. So I just picked her because I saw this great looking person and mm-hmm. it was 
So it was a, a combination of what she was wearing and how she looked. I, I didn't get into details when I stopped people. And if they weren't interested in being photographed, I would think, well, that wouldn't have been that fun. Mm-hmm. Right. But when she agreed to it, I was thrilled because I thought she, you know, really had a great look. And she did. I mean, that's that, that 80s look of hers spawned a team of wannabes for oh, yeah. a couple of years. And... I got an advertising job based on the coat she was wearing. So this woman approached me and said we made oversized coats and the inspiration was your picture of Madonna. And we'd like you to photograph the campaign. And I was like, perfect. Nice. Score. And then during the pandemic, I was not photographing, which was hard. Somebody contacted me and said I was in the Village Voice in your column and I would love a print of that picture. And I didn't recognize her name, but I, I said, this is perfect timing because I'm actually going through my tear sheets. And once I find the date, I'll be able to find the negative. Mm-hmm. So we never got that far. She, I sent her the tear sheet. That's all she needed. And when I did that, she called to thank me and she said, you know, that was my coat. Madonna and I were both dating Jean-Michel Basquiat. <laughs> and I love a, that. We had a fight and I left in a huff one day and can you imagine how I felt when I saw your picture of her wearing my coat? <laughs> oh, so Madonna just borrowed the coat. Exactly. Oh, how funny. Exactly. <laughs> I, I wonder if, if that woman is uh, Paige Powell. She's also in the Warhol documentary. Uh, she was just, just throwing that out there, you know. Amy's no, writing it down. it was um, Suzanne Malouk. Oh. Well, I guess uh, we'll have to look her up. But yeah, no, it's... It, very interesting because I know that there are a lot of stories of when Madonna was dating Jean-Michel Basquiat that um, several other people were dating him at the same time and they never they would have run-ins all over town and this is the, the best run-in I've heard so far. <laughs> it was the coat, you know? Well, I've read that, she, I mean, since I've read that she was indeed seeing him and I think she, I think everybody had a bad breakup with him, but she (laughs) still owns Basquiat paintings. And Madonna, I think Jean-Michel asked for his paintings back from her. So the story I think the story was that Madonna gave them back to him because she felt she felt guilty holding on to them after they broke up. And Uh, then Basquiat destroyed all of them. No, he he painted them black so they couldn't be exhibited. Can you imagine? Madonna had had actual Basquiat's and then was like, "Mm, this breakup didn't go well. I'm going to return them. And then he just paints over them. She's got some now, but she had to pay retail for them. Of course. (laughs) I wonder if, did Madonna return the coat to this woman? No. (laughs) Unclear. She never got the coat back. (laughs) No. And and I wonder where that coat is. It's probably back at a secondhand store, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So... Amy, going back to that time and, you know, you uh, got additional work because of the coat. Um, were you also at the time uh, photographing events, uh, bands, uh, concerts, anything like that downtown, anything of note that was going on that kind of changed the scene? Yes. Um, 
Yeah. A lot of the people I photographed, like Joey Arias was performing in mm-hmm. the clubs. Yeah, I was at, I went to Area. I went to the Limelight. I went to the Mud Club. That's where I had my first exhibit. Oh, wow. The Palladium. I had mm-hmm. a show there as well. Where else? Danceteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bigger clubs, mostly, mm-hmm. not the super small clubs. But I, like I say, I wasn't part of the scene. Right. I mean, People knew who I was and they, you know, figured it out because I was wearing a camera, which was <laughs> unusual in those days. Yeah. I still wasn't, I didn't feel part of it. But right. yeah, Bianca mm-hmm. Jagger was there one night at Area. You know, so many people. At one, t- at one point in my life, I would write down all the stars that I saw just walking around the village Mm -hmm. and then it got out of control. It was like, (laughs) Oh, 23 one day. And then. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, you know, I was just reading that they reopened the Chelsea hotel. Did you ever get to photograph anyone in there? Because I mean, during that time it would have been, it would have been very, uh, photogenic. Yeah. Photogenic, eclectic. (laughs) A Um, shit show maybe. (laughs) Not at that time, Mm -hmm. but. A friend of mine lived there, Suzanne Lipschitz, and she was in my, uh, she owned a store, I'm spacing out the name right now, but of really great stuff, really Mm -hmm. antique wallpaper and antique things, lamps and so on. So she was a great subject. She dressed wonderfully and was fabulous looking. So I had photographed her for No Place Like Home, which was a series of pictures of people who lived in unusual homes, meaning funky, you know, Mm -hmm. home designed. So it was really, so Suzanne moved to the Chelsea after it was cool. And I photographed her after it was cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would have, yeah. I wish I had the wherewithal to spend more time there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's from... All accounts, I mean, the people that live there are characters in themselves. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, the, the homes that they've created in that space as well. So I'm, it's interesting to see what will happen when now that it's open again, because I know there's still some holdouts that mm-hmm. would not leave and will not yeah. leave. Yeah, I crashed a wedding party there one time. I don't it was some <laughs> random Friday night and somebody at a bar and had a party to go to at the Chelsea Hotel. And my friend was like let's go with him so we can just go inside. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And we were there for like a hot minute. Everyone was giving us dirty looks because they didn't know who we were. But I was like, I'm in the Chelsea Hotel. This is cool. (laughs) You know who I did photograph is Suzanne Barsh. Oh, wow. Nice. I owe her a lot because I met everybody through Suzanne. You know, she was, do we need to explain? We can give a little context, short for our young young viewers out there. Um, so Suzanne has been throwing parties. parties yeah. <laughs> like every Tuesday night, she had a party mm-hmm. at a certain club and then she would move to another club and so on. But she's responsible for introducing me to many of my favorite subjects. Oh, wow. Um, the Rosenberg twins. Who else? This kid who we lost during the AIDS crisis, uh, Julio. I can't, you know, again, I can't. Yeah think of everybody well there's just so many yeah i mean your your cup runneth over yeah i mean earlier you mentioned phoebe legere who was part of that nightlife scene and um and then i guess like joey arias and john sex and diane brill i mean those were all like 
part of Barshland, as they mm-hmm. call it, you know? But yeah, John I mean, Sex was amazing. I photographed him at home for my book. Katie Kay was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in touch with her. She's wonderful. You know, she has a, a store called Ranch Dressing. Yes, yes, I did read about that. No, and that's, that's incredible because that group of people that they were kind of like the nightlife hierarchy before the younger, crazier, volatile club kids came into the scene. So this was kind of like the um, the Regency era of nightlife, mm. I would say. You know, before yeah. it, it before it became a, a bloodbath. You know, <laughs> so yeah. um, yeah. No, I mean, it it literally did. So let me ask you another question about like spaces downtown. Um, What were some places that, some spaces that you uh, were able to go in downtown that no longer exist and that, you know, could never ever be recreated in New York? CBGBs for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, during the pandemic, it feels like, or it felt like it was... I'm I hesitate to do it in the in in the past tense because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it's really over or not. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it just felt like everything was closing or changing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. being brought up or whatever it was. So it feels like a lot of things. Yeah. Um, what about trash in vaudeville? Does that still exist? Is that still open? I think that closed. I mean, I remember before the pandemic, um, I think it was a more abbreviated version. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. I always worried about a lot of those little spaces that even if they were still open, once the pandemic came along, I'm I'm thinking there's just no way that they're able to last. You know, Um, you would hope, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, for example, Gem Spa before the pandemic, I remember sending them right, exactly money, sending them money and you know trying to do a fundraiser uh, with some other you know downtown people because you know they weren't they were not going to be able to survive without the help of the neighborhood and right. mm-hmm. sadly I think that that's that's been the case with most things in the East Village and and especially St. Mark's which yeah I mean. I've not never, what it used to be. Not never seen it so sanitized. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amy, before we talk a little bit about your photography, before we do a deep dive there, just uh, two other questions about Madonna. So, uh, V Magazine recently dubbed her the most photographed woman in the world. Why do you think people like photographing Madonna so much? And second, are there any photographs of Madonna from other photographers that you've seen that you're like, yeah, they nailed that. That that's that's a great shot. Yes, for sure. Well, I think she's beautiful. I really do. And I think she's compelling. She's like riveting. She's mm-hmm. magnetic. She's electric. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I really I feel like what she accomplished in her life was so beyond music. I mean, not to take anything away from music. I mm-hmm. I wanted to be a musician myself, but I think her drive and her enthusiasm and her fearlessness were really spectacular. And mm-hmm. that's what I take away from her. You know, I, I've not followed every thing of hers and I tend to like the early stuff, but I really think she's incredible. You know, mm-hmm. when she came out with the sex book, I was, you go, girl. <laughs> I was in, in that um, 
It, who made the uh, cone bra? Uh, the uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier cos- yeah. uh, corset type things. I yeah. mean, that girl just does not stop. And I love that about her. And were there, are there any photographs that you've seen from other photographers that you've thought are just the amazing photographs in general? I mean, I know I have my favorites. Well, I really love Herbert's uh, cover of, what is it, True Blue? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, she talked about how she and he had a special relationship and would work together all the time. And you can feel it. Mm-hmm. I, it's just so orgasmic. You know, it's just yeah. delightful. Well, and I guess as a photographer, mm-hmm. you and I, I feel this way as well. I, I love when you get to work with the same people again, because there's you're all sort of on a you have a repartee already. You don't have to sort of get used to each other. It's like the first date jitters are over. And now you exactly. can sort of like mm-hmm. you're at more at ease. I wish um, I wish everybody could hear you say that because that's essential. And I don't think people know that. You know, mm-hmm. they like to give assignments to different photographers, which is great, except that the relationship so supersedes what you're able to establish in that short amount of time. Yeah, it's, uh, I, it is. And it's, it's sort of like, I feel like once you find a subject who you enjoy creating with, because it is such a an intimate process, it is something that, you know, it it doesn't just happen with everybody. You know, I think sometimes a lot of people come to me thinking they see some of my photographs and, oh, if I work with him, I'm going to get the exact same type of photographs. And it's like, that's not how it works. You know, sometimes you mesh with somebody and sometimes you can photograph them and they look amazing, but then you meet somebody else and it doesn't quite happen that way. Exactly. Um, So let's talk about your photography. You've been featured in periodicals around the world. You've had books published. You've taught classes. How did you get into taking photographs? Well, it must be said, that both of my parents were photographers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, but, just just little photographers, right? Just uh... <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, tell us. Who, tell us who your parents. My are. mom was Deanne Arbus, and my dad was Alan Arbus, and he's more well known for his acting on Mash, mm-hmm. uh, the TV show, not the movie. But what happened was they both stopped photographing. So I was in music school uh, in college in uh, Boston when my mom passed away. Hmm. And then my dad later moved to Los Angeles and pursued acting. So it was, nobody was photographing. And Mm -hmm. I felt this, I mean, of course I felt the loss of my mother. Also, I felt this deep loss of, photography as a sort of um as a way to document my life mm-hmm. you know I felt like my mom was doing that for me before she wasn't documenting my life but she was documenting the social scene at the time and mm-hmm, I sure. felt so comforted by that and when it was when she was gone and he was gone it was alarming it was like wait a minute what's happening there is no there there it's Mm -hmm. like I need I need that part I missed it desperately and 
a friend took me photographing in the park one day and I, I completely fell in love just yeah. head over heels. And I had made a picture for my ninth grade photography class, which was the only time I paid attention to photography during the time that my parents were working. And I took this picture, the assignment was to photograph an apple and I, it was haunting and, but I didn't feel like I had control over making this picture. Mm. I felt like it was an accident. And people went crazy over this picture. They were like telling me it was the greatest thing ever. And I was intimidated by the fact that they were giving me credit for something that didn't feel like it was mine. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you if you had any specific influences or tech or if your technique was informed by your parents' work, but it sounds like you kind of just hit the ground running. You know, you took your photos and, and you had your own point of view from the beginning. Oh, that's sweet. Um, I, you know, I love style. I, I find it so fascinating. And I had been working with a friend in Boston before I moved, moved back to New York. She was so androgynous that mm-hmm. she could look different in every photograph. And we would meet once a week and take a picture and she would dress up in these completely different, different makeup, different clothing, super butch, super femme, um, her own funky stuff, very punk, not punk at all. And we just had a blast. And when I went to the Village Voice for work, I didn't dream that they would hire me for the style section, but I was actually thrilled. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't feel particularly like a journalist. I felt much more like a portrait photographer. Mm-hmm. So I felt that I could make portraits of people and contribute to a style page. Mm-hmm. And then it got so out of control that the more outrageous the picture, the more outrageous the clothing, I mean, mm-hmm. um, my bosses would say, yeah, we like the really outrageous stuff. So I had to keep outdoing myself. Right, right. Yeah. You're looking for avant-garde now. Exactly, exactly. So... And I don't, I don't think that's ever been, you know, particularly too difficult to find in New York. I mean, this is when I moved to New York in the late nineties and I, my style was informed by what I saw on the street, by what people wore on the subway. And, and yeah, every now and then someone would really, really stand out and you're just like, wow, I'm so lucky to live here and to, to be around these, um, these style makers and, you know, and, and freak shows and, and the best, I mean, I mean that in the best way, of course, you know. I, you're exactly right. And yeah, I, and also they would inspire each other. Mm-hmm. So I would go out for a day without photographing each time I had a page coming up and I would just look mm-hmm. and see, you know, what's happening. Is it stripes? Is it polka dots? Yeah. Is it hats is is it underwear on the outside of your clothing you know i would go and see what people were doing and there were absolute trends mm-hmm. and when i would stop people they would often say oh i'm not wearing my best outfit <laughs> <laughs> can you come back tomorrow <laughs> well i i would call them i would say let's do it you know cuz i wasn't opposed to setting it up if if we could make a great picture 
Yeah. Sure. So on the street with the Village Voice was a rave of a success. And how did that parlay into a book? Was that something that the Village Voice was like, you've got to make this a book? Or did you go to them and say, I'm going to make this a book? It was, the voice was not involved. I mean, I did go to them and say, is it all right? You know, Mm -hmm. but they were not involved. Um, It happened way later. It was published in 2006 and I stopped doing it in 1990. Oh, wow. So it took some time, but I had been told that it would be really valuable as a historical mm-hmm. record. Sure. And that seemed to pan out. I mean, it was published by Welcome Books and they came to me and, you know, suggested it. And I was thrilled. I had been wanting to do it for since I had stopped doing it. Yeah. I'm surprised it took so long because, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, I was obsessed with buying these Japanese magazines and they were like tomes. They were really thick. They probably cost about $20, $25. And they were full of photographs of kids in Tokyo dressed in, you know, all these different styles. And that was another point of reference for, um, you know, checking out street style. And and yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think yours was one of the first like published books that, you know, kind of showed people the style that was picked up from the streets. Mm-hmm. Amy, was that a logistical nightmare having to publish on the street as a book? Did you, did you have all of those model releases just in a file somewhere and you were able to, okay, good. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, you don't, that's the last thing you want is to just be like having to like, hi, um, I don't know if you remember me, but um, I want to publish well, Ma- a book. Madonna signed a release that had her last name. So mm. that proved to me that it was early. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I was very good about getting releases because just because I'm organized and I needed a way to contact them. Mm-hmm. Also, I was sending prints to people. I would make a, several prints for the voice when they decided what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I would send the picture that we chose to the person. So again, very time consuming, but really worthwhile. Paid off in the end. Exactly. Amy, were there any subjects that when approached upon the publication of the book said, no, I don't want to be, I don't want my downtown punk rock looks, you know, being resurfaced for, you know, a new generation. No. (laughs) I can think of, I think everybody was thrilled. They were Uh, all narcissists. They were like, yes, photograph me. (laughs) Well, oh, and you know what? I had wanted to bring that up because I thought, I, I think that's such an interesting thing about, then versus now where photography has sort of come and gone to where you were saying your friend took you to go take photographs in the park. We don't even think about that now. Like Mm -mm. taking photographs is something that you do with your phone. It's not up. It's not an event sort of like it used to be, you know, when you photographed with film, there was intention behind that. You had to prepare to take those photographs. You were creating something and not a lot of people were doing it. Whereas nowadays, you know, everyone has a a camera in their phone and we're taking just pictures of what you're eating at McDonald's, you know? And it's like, it's like, 
we don't care about that people, you know, like exactly. give us something interesting. Yeah. There was a time when you needed to show a press pass to even bring a camera into an event. Yeah. So, um, you know, you spoke about, uh, you know, coming from a family of artists. So was, was it specifically encouraged for you to uh, pick up some sort of artistic discipline from an early age uh, for you and your siblings or were you guys just kind of, um, you know, pick what you like and, and, and do your best at it? Honestly, it didn't occur to me to be anything but an artist. Mm -hmm. That was my only model, you know, Mm -hmm. both parents were totally into it and it didn't occur to me to be a business person of any sort. Yeah. Not that that's so great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Initially, I was trying to think of something that wasn't photography because I felt like that was taken care of. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to do it because they were doing it. Yeah. But then they weren't. Um, so I tried, I wanted to be, my dad had studied with Benny Goodman's teacher. He played uh, swing jazz. Wow. Uh, clarinet. And I obviously took a lot from that because I went to Berkeley College of Music to study flute and sax, and I was into bebop. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be Eric Dolphy and Charlie Parker. <laughs> that was not in the cards. <laughs> I My boyfriend at the time broke my two front teeth, not on purpose, right. but we were horsing around. And... Um, I stopped playing. I couldn't play for a month and a half till they fixed my teeth, but I never really went back. Mm. The minute I started photographing, I was like, oh, yeah. And you found it. There it is. There it is. I'm home. Now, uh, Amy, let us tell us about the first time that you used a camera. And do you remember the type of camera it was? I know that some people would be interested in knowing. I think my friend Jennifer lent me her knicker mat, but in my family, it was always Nikon. Uh And um, I inherited my mom's Nikon F, which is the beginning of that series. And it was pretty spectacular. I mean, had a meter, but was simple as all, Mm -hmm. you know, as anything. I've never... I've tried over the years to fall in love with other makes and models, Leica mm-hmm. and Canon and Sony, and and I've had brief flirtations, but <laughs> you've had but affairs. I, you've had little yeah. affairs with them. Exactly, I stepped out, but I did not. <laughs> but you're married to Nikon. <laughs> yeah, I I am. It, yeah, it, I started my my dad gave me my very first camera as an eighth grade graduation gift. It was a Minolta film camera. I still have that camera and I love it. Um, but I've been Canon since we went digital. I've just always because I had the Canon lenses. I was like, well, I don't want to switch systems because then That's I have to exactly I have to get a whole another whole other crop of lenses. Mm-hmm. But I often do think about cheating on my Canon with the Sony mirrorless because it's like the popular thing to do. And I, but I just, I don't know, Amy, how you feel about it, but like the thought of giving up the, the viewfinder to just 
photograph looking at the back of the the camera I just it just doesn't feel right <laughs> I'm like oh no that's not photography like <laughs> photography is closing an eye and looking through a viewfinder and and finding the angles and crafting it and I'm like not just watching a tv screen it's... exactly photography when did it become a video game I know <laughs> true i mean i do it with my phone you know i shoot i shoot video with my phone because it's just easy and it's 4k Mm -hmm. and it's it's i don't have to transfer it anywhere but it's the the photographs to me it's it doesn't seem the same you know like photographing with my cell phone is just not it to me that's not a proper photograph yeah well here's the bad news um on account the iphone does better than the Nikon camera. And that's due to one reason for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does uh, HDR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I can't get that in one exposure on my Nikon. And that is really a problem. So it is a lot of Photoshop is involved to get the same result. I mean, totally yeah. worth yeah. doing, but if you can just go, it's pretty great. Well, I mean, even just like, I mean, I love my cell phone because of the camera and because the, the the flexibility with it, like the low light, you know, like you can be out on the street at night and take a photo with your iPhone and it it's looks like night. it's, it's yeah. perfect. Whereas like my Canon, I would, I, I, if I tried to do that, I would have to open it all the way up and it would still not turn out as beautiful. And it's like, there'd be, it'd be so much noise and it's just like, yeah, I know. And also I mean, the iPhone is super light. It fits in my pocket with my <laughs> camera. It's like I have to haul it on a backpack and I've got my tripod. It's just such a, yeah, it's a hassle. They don't make it easy. It's true. But the results from the camera are ridiculous. I mean, the quality at 30 by 40 mm-hmm. oh, yeah. is phenomenal. And the phone, it's pretty decent at 8 by 10, but I wouldn't go larger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amy, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your critically acclaimed New York Times bestselling book, The Fourth Wall. Um, Tell us a little bit about it and why do you think it's resonated with so many since its release? So it was such, how can I tell this story? It was such (laughs) a, my ideas for all my projects have been totally instinctual, not not intellectual. So the fourth wall, I just got this nutty idea one day to liberate these characters from their play. And, you know, the, this, we've talked about this, the stuff you see on, on New York city streets is so bizarre yeah, that you can't outdo that. And my thought was, I fall in love, you know, when I go to the theater, I fall in love with these characters that are, you know, perfectly made up, perfectly dressed. The only thing I had to do was use my own lighting and location. And I thought, wouldn't it be great for other people to be able to take home their favorite character from the theater? Mm -hmm. So um, that was really the idea. And I would go to the, to see each play maybe three or four times before I would actually photograph the actors. Eventually, the New York Magazine loved the project and would give me assignments to go photograph a play that was opening 
in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And they would use it with a review. Because getting permission is the hard part. And it is hard. It was no joke. I mean, there were a lot of things to consider that, you know, I had to worry about when they were going to wash the clothing for the character because they didn't have all sorts of sets of, you know, for the next performance. And Mm -hmm. then there were matinee days where there would be such a tight turnaround that it might not be possible, but ideally that was the best time to photograph people because they they only had a couple hours between shows and eating and so on to so mostly that was their downtime Hmm. why do i think it was well i think it was people liked it because it was it referenced certain moments in the show yeah Mm -hmm. sometimes those moments would change because they were constantly you know the director was constantly giving characters notes and changing things before opening right but also it was so much fun it was just so Mm -hmm. much fun amy i'm curious so we we talked about you know obviously with on the street you were encountering people that you were just walking by uh, randomly in New York City, and with the fourth wall, you know you're meeting these actors who are portraying characters, and you're only getting a, a small amount of time to work with them. How do you, as a photographer, establish a relationship with them in order to get them to open up for your lens? Well, I think they were impressed that. I paid so much attention to their expressions and their lines and I would take notes like a, like a reviewer. So I think that was one thing that made it, that gave us common ground. Like I really knew what they were doing. You know, I didn't just see it once. So I think, you know, I I don't know if being from, you know, being the child of an actor was helpful Mm-hmm. Um, his name didn't really come up, but the name Arbus is pretty mm-hmm. famous by now. Well, I recall Mr. Arbus from his turn in Damien, the Omen part two. And then after that, whenever I would see him, I would say, that's the guy from Damien. <laughs> sweet. I had to watch him die in a show once and it was so traumatic. Oh, I'm certain. <laughs> and I just, uh, got, uh, country house and somebody was coming over to change the locks for me and uh-huh. there's a it, my dad's headshot is in you know framed in in my office and and he said without a beat you know he said oh wow did you get to meet him and I said, <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> I mean, if, if you watched episodic television in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you got to see Mr. Arbus show up just all over the place. It's very prolific. Yeah. So you had taught at ICP, International Center of Photography. I was lucky enough to study with you uh, in a class there. What do you enjoy about teaching photography to people? And how do you attempt to teach photography to people? Good question. My technique, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> is to um, is to talk about seeing and to establish a language for looking at photographs where we all understand 
the same references. So we talk about framing, we talk about point of view, we talk about depth of field, we talk about all the things that a photograph is made up of. And through that, and looking at a lot of photographs by other people, my theory is that the students figure out what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And once they do that, it's much easier to teach them because you can just encourage them and give them specific advice if they need it, which mm -hmm. often they don't. You know, what, figuring out what you want to do is really challenging. And now it's a million times harder. Mm -hmm. I love teaching because it, it kept me call honest, which meant what I mean by that is that I would spend a lot of time knowing what was current. So I would read magazines, I would go to shows, I would be hip to what was happening in photography, mostly in New York, but also throughout the world. I used to read Photograph mm -hmm. magazine, which, you know, had who was showing where, and it would do profiles about current photographers. And it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I do that a lot less for myself. I mean, I do it, but I don't, I don't make sure I'm up to date on everything all the time now. Mm -hmm. What I found difficult about teaching was that my students would come to me for emotional reasons, not practical reasons. And that I found really, really challenging. And I understand the, the feeling like, oh, I'm having so, I love photography, but I'm having so much trouble figuring out what I want to do or deciding what I want to do or doing what I want to do. And sometimes those are emotional problems, but I was so not equipped. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been in therapy a lot, but <laughs> That's a whole different thing than studying it. So I felt responsible in a way that I didn't want to feel. Yeah, I remember specifically I, I had taken your class at ICP because I was feeling stuck in my photography work and I, I hadn't felt inspired in a while and I wanted to feel re-inspired. And so taking the class was my attempt to do that. And I was still hitting a bit of a wall when you were assigning some of the projects. And I had remember asking you, what do I do when I feel like I don't know what to photograph or if I'm in the middle of a shoot and I don't know what to photograph anymore? And your advice was just keep shooting. And I still adhere to that rule today. I'm always like, <laughs> if I feel like I'm like hitting a wall, I'm just like, just keep clicking the, clicking the shutter and keep doing it, keep doing it. And something will, you know, something will spark and eventually it does. So that's another problem with the phone camera is that people tend not to look at their pictures later. Hmm. And that's when you learn the most, um, because the the evidence is there, but you can't, if you're just trying to get a picture and you're looking at it while you're doing it, that's a whole nother exercise. Well, Stefan, um, is, is it time for my favorite part of the show? It shall be that time. <laughs> Amy, for all of our guests, we do a little thing called the lightning round. It's just meant to be a little 
off the top of your head, wherever you're at. I know you said you weren't constantly on Madonna's career, but you can, whatever you know of Madonna's career, I'm sure you can draw from Mm -hmm. favorite Madonna song. I would have to say crazy for you. Oh, good one. Good one. That's a, that's a great, great song. People forget about that song all the time. And it's such a good one. But did she write it? She didn't write it. Did she? No, she did not write it. But she sang the hell out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, favorite Madonna music video. I'm going to fail this one. <laughs> I just don't know them well enough. You've seen, come on, you've seen some music video, Madonna music videos, no? Well, all right, how about this? What, what's a Madonna music video that you've seen? Well, there, I was watching one tonight where it was kind of great because it was like West Side Story. It must have so, been borderline. Yes, it was yeah. borderline. <laughs> See, very cinematic. It's a good one. There you go. Uh, all right, so this one will probably be uh, equally tough. Favorite Madonna tour? Have you seen any of Madonna's <laughs> tours? None. I've no. never seen her live ever. Oh, oh just, you should just on the street. Just on the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you, you I, photographed I was... her in person and done. Yeah. No, I I was hoping that I would love to meet her. And I know that this picture that I took was one is one of her favorite photographs because she asked to use it for. Do you know who Jr. is? Sure, J. I went to Jr.'s In and Out project when he was in Times Square, and got to and got to have my face whitewashed onto the the middle of Times Square. And then when I was visiting my storage unit a couple of months ago in New York City, I randomly was walking down the block and JR was there. And I was like, JR! And so we got a picture together. And I was like, I love your work. I did it in and and out. Sorry, go ahead. So so JR used your photograph? It didn't actually work out, which was fine with me. But uh, they were doing a cover story for the New York Times Magazine. I think it was- Oh, yes, I saw that. The 50th. Yeah. I didn't actually want them to use my photograph because I said, will it be compromised? And they said, yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm, I don't think so. Never mind. Because there's no way to make it better. She, when she heard, when Madonna was on set, she heard that that picture wasn't there and she made a special call for it. And I was like, okay, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then she had to leave before it all worked out. So they didn't end up shooting it, but mm. I know that she likes it. Mm. So well, I, hey, I've, there you go. I've always wanted to meet her because I, I know she has a photography collection and I think it, that would be super fun. It'd be fun to see the pictures of her that she has displayed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would like to meet her, but it's never happened. Not yet. There's still time. Exactly. Never, never say never. Uh, favorite Madonna look, and this can be from on the street, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a magazine, in a photo book. Is there, is there a specific Madonna look that you love? Well, maybe the, the cone bra. You know, I, it was just so ridiculously amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what she's all about, you know? And she, when she stood naked for the cover of Sex and it didn't end up being published as the cover, I mean, she's amazing. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I have that T-shirt with the, her on the street hitchhiking nude and, and I just can't 
wear it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because people will stare. Yeah. Not at me. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Amy. Please uh, tell everyone where they can find you uh, on social media. And if not, um, you know, promote some of um, your projects and, and your books that can be purchased. And yeah. So we are, where, where can we find you on social? You're on, are you on Instagram? On both Facebook and Instagram. At Amy Arbus. Yeah. And where can they, where can we find your books? Is that just on Amazon? We can just go on and. You know, I think they're out of print. Hmm. Exclusive, hard to find out of, out of print. In that um, case, guys, uh, get in contact with, um, Oh my God, Stefan, what's the name of that bookstore in New York? The Strand. Yeah, get in contact with The Strand. They will find the books for you. I've never had a problem with an out-of-print book. They they source everything. And Amy, what are your current projects? Are you working on anything? You know, it just dawned on me. I should be photographing uh, Little Ukraine. Mm, It's right here. Mm -hmm. And it's so relevant. Yeah. I have another six weeks in the city before I go up to Cape Cod. And yeah, I think that's going to be first. Yeah. That's a great idea. I was just, I was reading about the owner of the Selka is, is having these um, fundraising dinners and it just brings so many people back to the area. And yeah, a lot of the younger people that live in the East Village don't realize that it was all Ukrainian refugees around the turn of the last century. And Mm -hmm. it really shaped the area and informed the area. And there's pockets of it all over the place. Exactly. So go have some pierogies (laughs) and fight and fight a good cause. Yes. Um, Well, and remember, everybody, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MLVC Podcast. You can donate to the podcast on Venmo at MLVC Podcast. Also, you can consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon, patreon.podbean.com forward slash MLVC Podcast. Amy, thanks so much for taking the time. This was really fun and really special. Thank you, Amy. We're going to plaster that photo of Madonna that you took all over our Instagram so everyone (laughs) will know. Great. Okay. Um, and yeah, we're, we're thanks. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Amy. Absolutely. This is a pleasure to talk to you. It's so good it to meet was. you. Great right. to meet you.